So today, Pastor James is gonna come up here and give you a message. And before he does, I wanna let you know a little bit behind the scenes. So when we get ready for a Sunday, generally the message will be typed up and we get all the slides and stuff and, and everything prepped beforehand in a, in a good amount of time beforehand. Uh, and I know today is gonna be something really great and something special because during this last week, I think it was like Wednesday, I get a text message at like eight in the morning and Pastor James is like, hey, uh, just, just so you guys know, I changed like half of the message because I was reading this morning, doing basic seven, and God just was speaking something to me. And so I'm gonna change that and I'm gonna get it to you today. Don't worry, we'll get all the stuff ready to go. So I was like, okay, great, this is gonna be fire. I trust you. And uh, I, I think that God has something that he wants to say through him. And I believe that if you come here today with crossed arms, I, my hope and prayer is that you would say, hey, I'm gonna be open to what God has for me today. Because regardless of who you are, where you are in your journey with God, you believe in him, you don't, you've been following him for years or you just started, God has something he wants to say to you. It might be different from the person sitting next to you, but God has something he wants to say to you. And so without further ado, would you please help me welcome Pastor James to the stage as we conclude this series, Resolutions and Revolutions. All right, thanks for that intro, man, that was great. I hope, I hope this is good. Because I just got it Wednesday, and it hadn't marinated very long. So we'll... Uh, I only marinate for 24 hours on my steaks. You've had, you've had several days. <laughs> it's all good. This yeah, will be true. a filet mignon message. For me. All right. Well, hey, uh, I know some of you are probably looking, and you're like, hey, man, you're wearing the wrong jersey. I'm not. Uh, I'm wearing the jersey of the greatest team to ever play football. Uh, and the greatest player to ever play football. Come on, Tom Brady the GOAT. So, um, so I had to represent, and also I, I figured it was only fitting to rock this jersey. And, and here's the deal: some of y'all, most of y'all's team didn't make the Super Bowl anyway today. So just, just shut up, you know. But, um, but I figured it was it was a good time to wear this too, uh, to just just in commemoration of Tom Brady's second retirement, and uh, maybe maybe this will be for good. I, I don't know. And now. That the greatest quarterback of all time has retired, uh, the second greatest quarterback of all time is going to win today, Patrick Mahomes with the Chiefs, right? You with me? Some of you. The rest of you are like Eagles fans, or you're like, wait, what's happening today? Oh my goodness, are you kidding me? Anyway, Super Bowl today. So uh, super pumped about that. And uh, man, I'm glad you guys made it because uh, it's raining outside. You said it doesn't matter if it's raining. I'm going to be there. And so that's good. Give yourself a hand for that. And second, it's Super Bowl. Normal people would have been like, I can't make it to church. I got to get it ready for a Super Bowl. It's at 6.30. You got plenty of time to get ready for it. So I'm glad you're here. Like Dave said, we're, we're, we're closing out this series, Resolutions and Revolutions. And, um, you know, great movements, uh, great revolutions begin just with a small spark, like one small thing. I, I mean, the, the, the American Revolution uh, was sparked by the Boston Tea Party. People gathered together and dumped tea in the sea. And then it was reignited by the shot heard around the world. This one shot started the American Revolution. Great revolutions, great movements are often sparked by one small thing. And then there were a lot of different things that were at play at the time, a lot of different things that happened already at the time, but uh, the Civil Rights Movement took off when Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on the bus, one small action sparked a whole revolution. And then the, the Egyptian revolution in 2011 that took place during the Arab Spring, uh, where two million people gathered together on January 25th, Police Day, uh, in this square to, to protest. These, the, these people gathered, and many said the reason why so many people gathered is because of a video 
that uh, Asma Mafus put out, this one woman who, who couldn't take it anymore, she put out a video encouraging and inviting people to join her in the square to protest, and two million people showed up. A revolution is sparked by just one small action. And that, that makes me think about uh, what Paul, this, this early church planter 2,000 years ago, wrote to this church that he started in the city of Ephesus. He said this in Ephesians 3.20. He said, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Men. This verse says that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. God, God is able to do more than you could even think of. God, do, God is able to do more than you can even think to ask him to do. What we see in this verse is that God's vision for your life is greater than your vision for your life. God wants to do limitless things in your life. But as you look at your life, as I look at my life, we often live limited lives, don't we? God wants to do even more than all you could ever ask or imagine. But if you're like me, sometimes you look at your life and you feel stuck. You feel stagnant. You feel like, maybe I'm not living my best life ever. How do I live my best life ever? And we want to see a revolution take place. That's why we create resolutions in the beginning of the year. Because we want to discover the more we were made for. What this verse says is God wants to do even greater things in your life than you even think to ask him of. And so it gets me thinking about my own life. How often do I limit my life because I got a small vision? How often do you limit your life because you got a small vision? How often do we limit this church and what God wants to do in and through this church because we got a small vision? If we could just increase the size of our vision to match the size of our God, I believe that God would do even greater things in our life. You with me? I'll say it again so you can write it down because some of you were just looking at me. If we could increase the size of our vision to match the size of our God, he would do great, amazing things and we would see the revolution that we long for. But in order for us to see that revolution, it starts with a spark. One small action. Just like these revolutions that I mentioned to you. The Revolutionary War, it began because people dumped tea in the sea. And then there was a shot heard around the world. And then there was a woman who refused to stand. And then there was a woman who couldn't stand it any longer, and she made a video inviting people to come stand with her. One small action sparked a whole revolution. Your small action is being here today. And hearing what God wants to do in and through your life, knowing that he wants to do immeasurably more, immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine. Well, I hope to be a millionaire one day. God wants to do immeasurably more than that. And it isn't just about money. This is a health and wealth gospel. No. But God does want you to be healthy. That's why you got to work out and get on a diet and eat right. And Am, am I going too far? God. <laughs> the scriptures say in the Proverbs that in the, in, in, in the storehouses of the wise are choice, choice wines and olive oil and, 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 and they store up good for them. So, so there is that. God, God wants to invite you to immeasurably more than all you ask, ever ask or imagine. Right now you're just trudging through your marriage thinking roommates at best is all we can ever be. God wants you to thrive. God wants you to have a great and amazing marriage where the people you work with look at your marriage and say, how do we have a marriage like that? 
And the answer isn't, well, if I had a man like that, if I had a woman like that, no. The answer is you submit and serve one another. You submit to one another. You serve one another. You love one another, even when it's difficult. God wants to give you even more than you ever ask or imagine. So that when you look in the mirror, you don't just say, well, I guess I'll settle. But you love what you see because you know that you're made in God's image. And God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Man, God wants to do immeasurably more than all you ever ask or imagine. But if you're like me, sometimes we settle for less than God's best. And I want to say today, no more. No more, right? No more. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired of settling for less. And God wants to do not only greater things in your life, he wants to do greater things in and through this church. Because Jesus' vision of the church, we see it in Matthew 16, 18. He said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not withstand it. The vision Jesus has of the church is that you and I would be advancing against the gates of hell, claiming territory for God's kingdom. Some of y'all look at church like, oh, I thought I was just showing up for a service, not advancing against hell. That's what God has called us to do. To go into dark places and snatch people from the flames. To show them light. But some of us, because we got a small vision, man, we got to increase our vision. But because we got a small vision of churches, this service that I go to and I try and be good. No, God wants you to advance against the gates of hell. And do far greater things than you could ask or imagine. Well, I'll just, I'll just show up, and if I got some time, I'll serve a little bit. we got to increase our vision. God wants to do greater things. And so I'm constantly looking at my life and saying, God, how am I limiting a limitless God by settling for less than his best? I don't want to do that any longer. And, and one of the things that I've been thinking through for this year is how do we reach more people? See, our, and not how do we, see our, our mission is we're a church that exists to help people meet Jesus and journey with him. We want to help as many people as possible meet Jesus. And maybe you've met Jesus, but we want to help you meet him like never before. Where it goes beyond the tradition, where it goes beyond the ritual, where it goes beyond the, the idea of this God in the, in the sky, this cosmic being. But like he's real to you and you know him and, and, and he's powerful to you and you know that you're loved. Like you meet Jesus in a way like never before. And then you go on this journey with him, becoming more like him. We want to see how do we help more and more people meet Jesus and journey with him? So I've been wondering, how, how do we do that? And I started thinking, what if? What if this year? Well, actually, it didn't start with this year. It just started in general. What if, as a church, we could just reach 1% of our city? Like, that's it, just 1%. I don't want to be greedy. How could we reach just 1% of our city? Now, city of Virginia Beach is 500,000 people, half a million people. That's 5,000 people. See, at first, when you hear that, how do we reach 1% of our city, you might say, oh, yeah, that's, that's easy, but you think it's 5,000 people, oh my goodness. You might look around, we average about 70 people on a Sunday. You're like, how in the world can we do that? And then I started thinking, well, I mean, it's over time. It's over time. How, how can we reach 5,000 people in this city over time? But as I was, actually, a thing I do on, on Sunday mornings is I go over my, my sermon. So, so when you hear me preach this sermon, this is not the first time I've preached it. I've preached it several times already like in a room with nobody else there. <laughs> and so I'll just go over it and over it. But I was going over it today, and as I was going over it, I was going over this specific part 
Again, how can we reach 1% of our city over time? I felt like God said to me, that's too small. How can you reach 1% of this city this year? That makes me think different now. Because if it's like over time, we can reach 5,000 people over the next 20 years, okay. But how much greater a vision to reach 5,000 people this year? What's it going to take for us to do that? We got to go all in to make that happen. I can't do it on my own. We got to have a greater vision. And then I felt like God was saying, how about you add a zero to it? 1%, you add a zero to it, that's 10%. 50,000 people? And I was like, you know, I was like, I don't think we can do that. That's too much. Paul said to the Ephesians, God is able to do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine. And I'm thinking, God, I don't think you can do that. I'm just being real with you. Man, what would it take? What would it be like if this year we said, God, we're going to go all in. We got a greater vision for our lives. We got a greater vision for your church. We're not going to settle for simply sitting in seats, but we're going to spread the word. We're going to do everything we can to reach just 1% of our city this year. What would that look like? That's why, that's why engaging in something like Basic 7 is so important. We, we started Basic 7 on January 9th, and, and, and you have the cards in your seat, so it, it lists out what's involved in Basic 7. It, it, essentially, it's, um, it's, it's, you do seven things for seven weeks, 49 days. Six of the things you do are every single day. One of them is just once a week. The once a week thing is observe a 24-hour Sabbath. And then there's six things that you do every single day. And the way this works is if you miss any one of those things on one day, you start back over on day one. Really, you got two options. You can either quit, like we normally do in life when we fail. Well, I guess I'll try next year. You can quit or you can start back over. And one of the... uh, one of the, the, the tasks on Basic 7 is, is just like what Marisol was talking about, meet somebody new every day. Jesus stood in front of his disciples just before he ascended into heaven, and uh, he said in Matthew 28, uh, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and then baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I'll be with you forever. Jesus told his followers, and that includes us, to go into all the world and teach people to obey what he's commanded. It's hard for us to meet somebody new every day. You see what I mean? Jesus said, my church is going to advance against the gates of hell. And we're like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're just showing up for church service. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. And we're like, I don't even know if I can meet somebody. What if we expanded our vision? And we said, I know it's uncomfortable. I know it's inconvenient. But I'm going to move past that and do the thing you've called me to do. What? more could we see happen in our life and through God's church? That's what we're about, man. I don't know about you. I'm tired of playing church. I'm tired of just going through the motions. I mean, I never did before, but I believe God wants something more and greater for us. And so that's why it's so important to engage in basic seven. And like I said, we began at January 9th, and uh, I think probably a handful of people are actually doing it. Probably maybe, maybe two handfuls of people are actually doing it. And I knew that that would be the case when we first started because what a lot of people did was they looked at it and said, that's really hard. I can't do that. 
And if you look at it, you say, man, that's really hard. I can't do that. That's why you need to do this because you're limiting yourself. When you engage in this, when you do this, you're going to find you're more capable than you thought you were. It's going to develop discipline in you. There's going to be days where you're like, I don't want to meet anybody, but I have to because I said I was going to, and I want to be a person of integrity, and you do it anyway. And that's going to translate to other areas in your life where you don't want to do something, but you do it anyway. Even though you're tired, even if you don't feel like it, even if you don't want to, you do it anyway because you said you would. It's your responsibility. So this is going to teach you that. And then there are some who said, well, you know, I'm doing most of it, but not all of it. Okay, and, and, and we do that in other areas of life too. I mean, I do most of it, but not all of it. This is going to teach you to go all in, to give your all. Just do it. So if you hadn't engaged in basic seven yet, man, tomorrow's the day to start. You might not be able to start today because one of the, the tasks is you got to wake up before the sun and spend time with God. Maybe you did that. I don't know. But if not, you can start tomorrow. And it's just seven weeks. And that'll develop a habit in your life. And basic seven is something you can do anytime this year. You can do it multiple times this year. You can do it next year. You, you can do it whenever you want. But it's just a challenge for you to engage in doing something you hadn't done before to see some things you've never seen before. And, and again, one of those tasks is meeting somebody new every day. And, um, you know, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, I, I taught you how to read the Bible. I, I showed you how to read the Bible. Because sometimes we'll just say, hey, you got to do this, and we don't tell you how to do it. So I want to I teach you how to meet somebody. Uh, again, if we're just going to reach 1% of our, our city this year, we got to meet some people. we got to build our relationships. And, 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 and here's why it's important reaching 1% of our city, 5,000 people. The 5,000 people that we're trying to reach, sure, there are some of them that, that you don't know and they're strangers to you. But in that 5,000 is your, is your husband or your wife because they hadn't met Jesus like you have. In that 5,000 is, is your brother or your sister or your mom or dad, your son or daughter, and you know that they're hopeless. They're living in hopelessness. They're living in darkness. And they need to know the hope that you have. In that 5,000, see, it's personal, man, because it's people you work with. It's people you sit with in school. It's people you sit with at the bar. It's people you're going to hang out with tonight at a Super Bowl party. And it, what amazes me is we will sit with people all throughout the week, at work, at the bar, hang out with our friends, and they are lost in hopelessness. And we found hope, but we don't say anything to them. There are people that we know, people we rub shoulders with, people that we shake hands with, people whose, whose stories we know, and they are lost in darkness, and we found the light of the world, but we keep it to ourselves. Isn't that a What if we just said, no more, because God wants something greater for me and for his church, and I'm in. I'm in. I'm going to step outside my comfort zone and make it happen. And so I just, I just want to teach you how to meet people real quick. Um, this, this is how I do it. Most of the times I meet people at the gym because I go there quite often, in case you couldn't tell. Um, but what I do is I say this. Hey, I see you here all the time. What's your name? That's it. That's it. 
Hey, I see you here all the time. What's your name? Because I'm there all the time and I see them all the time. Hey, I see you here all the time. What's your name? That's how I got to meet all the people who work at the front desk at, um, at, at the rec center where I go to. That's how I got to meet Donald and, and Jennifer and, and Eric and Maddie and Tanya. Just, hey, I see you all the time. What's your name? And then I get their name, I tell them my name. This is, this is how I get to talk with Donald about, um, about wrestling. He and I, we talk about wrestling every once in a while because he's a big WWE fan. So we were talking, I was like, yeah, I think Cody Rhodes is probably going to beat Roman Reigns at, the, at WrestleMania coming up. So we talk about stuff like that now. I never would have had that conversation with him had I not just said, hey, what's your name? That, that, that's how I got to meet uh, Russ and Hicks and Will and Tarek and Jeff at the gym when, when we're working out, and, and I see them lifting, and I say, hey, I, I see you all the time. What's your name? And now I get to talk to them, and, and, and now it's like, uh, like I'm a celebrity when I go in there. I'm like, hey, what's up, man? How are you doing? Because you know? I just know everybody because I'm asking them, what's their name? This is how I got to meet uh, Celeste. It's how I got to meet Tess. It's how I got to meet um, Steve, how I got to meet Dangerous Deb at Pickleball because I play Pickleball every Thursday now. I'm turning 40 in March, I know. But I play pickleball every Thursday now, but that's how I got to meet them. Hey, what's your name? And now we talk. And this past Thursday, I mean, it was crazy. I was wearing a, a shirt. It, it said Passion for Planting on it. Before launching Journey, I was in this cohort. It's a group of guys who are starting uh, churches in North Carolina and then here and then uh, another guy uh, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And then there was another guy starting a church in Kenya, and our church actually got to help their church get started. But I was wearing this shirt, Passion for Planting. Uh, we were in this cohort for like nine months just talking about what it means to start a church and how to start a church. I was wearing it this past Thursday at Pickleball. And this lady said to me, hey, what's your shirt mean? And then there was another guy who overheard. He was like, yeah, I was wondering the same thing. That, that's how they talk. And, uh, and then Gloria was right around. And Gloria said, yeah, what's your shirt mean? So then I'm sitting here with these people who are like old enough to be my grandparents. I'm talking to them about how we started this church last year in this skating rink. And I was part of this group, this cohort, whatever. And then the, girl, the, the lady who asked me like about, about our church uh, or, or about my shirt, she then said, oh, is your church one that makes a joyful noise to the Lord? I said, I think so. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 it, it probably doesn't sound good because I can't sing. Other people sound better. But we're pretty joyful, yeah. She said, oh, because I love my church. We got an organist, and our organist is so funny. If there's a baby that's crying in the audience, he'll stop playing and play a lullaby for it. Oh, it's so good. I was like, okay, great. So I'm sitting here talking to them about this church that we started because I had this shirt on, but I met him before. Four, and we're having this conversation. It all begins with, hey, I don't think I met you before. What's your name? Hey, I see you're here often. What's your name? That's all it is. And as you think about your week, you think about your life, when this past week did somebody ask you your name and genuinely care about it? Not often. And you get to bring hope and life and joy to people. And then who knows? Now that you know their name, Maybe it opens a door later on for you to say, hey, I'm part of this church. I meet at a skating rink over at Lynn Haven. I think you should come check it out. Would you sit with me? How do we reach 1% of our city? One of the ways is we just invite people to sit with us. Come and see. Sit with me. That's all it is. You don't have to answer their questions about what happened to the dinosaurs on Noah's Ark. You don't have to answer all the questions about... Uh, Premillennial dispensationalism or postmillennialism or amillennialism. 
That's okay. You're like, what are you talking about? Exactly. You don't need to know that. You just say, come and see. Sit with me. Because I believe God wants to do even greater things in and through this church. But man, we just got to get outside our comfort zone. Stop choosing convenience and get to know a lost and dying world and invite them to come find hope. Y'all with me? With a response like that, we're going to reach about 0.1% of our city. Y'all with me? Come on. So, so basic seven, man, if you hadn't engaged in it, go ahead and engage in it. This is the part that I really want to talk about, though. This is what Dave was mentioning. This is the part where I, I changed it all, man. I, uh, I write sermons in advance. This week, I was reading because I'm engaging in basic seven, but this has been a habit for me already to wake up before the sun, to spend time with God, and I was reading through the book of Ezra. I read this, and I said, I got to preach this because here's the deal. We've been throughout the series, Resolutions and Revolutions, and you can have a great vision for your life. You can want to see God move in a great way in your life, but if we don't get this problem, we'll be dead in the water. We got to address this. We got to see this in our life, first and foremost, because no matter what you want, no matter what you desire, no matter how much you want to see a change happen, if you don't do this, you'll be dead in the water. And here it is. Here's what you need to understand about this church. This church is not perfect because I'm in it. This church is not perfect because I'm in it. And this church isn't perfect because you're in it. I don't know if you know that about yourself, but you're not perfect. And if you're looking for a perfect church and you ever find one, don't go to it because you'll mess it up. Because none of us are perfect. None of us have it all together. I know, I know you like to think you do, and I know you try your best, but the truth is none of us have it all together. All of us are messed up. Nobody's perfect. And we just got to embrace that and understand that. That's why one of the values we have is real is all we know. Real is all we know. If you're looking for a perfect pastor, you're not going to find him in me because I'm, I'm messed up. I'm constantly looking at my life and saying, why did I do that? How do I fix this? How do I get better? How do I change? Now, I hold myself to standards, and there's certain things. Like, I hadn't killed anybody or anything, okay? I don't want to oh, my goodness. But, but there, there's my, my pride, my ego, my selfishness, my, my insecurity. There's so many things that just creep up in my life, and I constantly have to be on guard for those things. i got to watch those things. i gotta, I got to fight those things. But I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. But the truth is, neither do you. And I'm not talking about like, oh, we kind of mess up every once in a while. I mean, like, we are jacked up. And if you need the scriptures to, to tell you that, I, I, I think you know that. But if, if, if you don't, like, here's what the Bible says, Romans 3.10, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. For everyone is sin. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Aren't you glad you came to church? But I mean, it's true. None of us, none of us. And we got to get that. We got to get that. We got to understand just how messed up we are. Because sometimes the, the temptation is for us to compare ourselves with other people. And we compare ourselves with other people. We can be like, no, I'm actually pretty good. I mean, I'm not as bad as Janice in accounting. 
right? I mean, if you knew her, I'm a saint. Now, I'm not like Mike in sales, but I'm better than Jay. And what can happen is we can compare ourselves with other people, and we think, I'm pretty good. But the truth is, you're comparing yourself to the wrong person. you got to compare yourself to God's perfect standard and his holiness. And compared to God, none of us are good. None of us get it right. All of us. Even, even our attempts to be good don't measure up to God's goodness. We gotta understand this. Isaiah, this, this prophet who lived about 2,700 years ago, actually explained it this way. He said this, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. When Isaiah says this, your righteous acts, my righteous acts are like filthy rags, the word that he uses here for filthy rags is referring to used menstrual cloths, bloody tampons. I'm just reading the Bible. Just reading the Bible. He says, you and I, our righteous acts are like bloody tampons to God. It would be like if I came over to your house and you were like, hey, I want to show you something. And I sat down on your couch and you went and you got this bucket and you brought it over. You said, check this out. This is so cool. And you pulled out a used tampon, and you toss it at me. He said, look at that one. And then you pulled out another one. And you said, this one's really cool. And you kept throwing these bloody, nasty tampons at me. Like, isn't this awesome? And, and you thought I'd be impressed by that? I'm like, what are you doing? That's disgusting. Stop. I don't want to see that. That's what happens when we get in front of God and we boast about how good we are and how we're trying. God's like, that's disgusting. That's like, use tampons. Stop throwing that at me. It doesn't measure up at all. Do you understand? We are bad. You got to get this. You got to get this. But again, sometimes we, sometimes we justify this, and it's like, well, but I try. Like, I know my intentions. I do the best. And, and, and sometimes, I mean, if we're being really open, we say, okay, I know that, but the truth is I want to live my own life. I want to do my own thing, and I know what God says, but I'm going to do this and so he's okay with it, or I'm okay with it, or we justify it, we rationalize it in some way. And what ends up happening is we start living our lives like my son when he was four years old. My son is six now, but when he was four years old, he was taking a bath in our bathtub, because that's where you take baths. He was taking a bath in our bathtub, and, and uh, he was just in there by himself. And there was a point where uh, he pinched off a turd nugget in the water. And so there's this doo-doo chip floating around in the water. And my wife went to go check on him, and she sees this dingleberry floating around. And she says, Aiden, what did you do? What is this? She starts freaking out. He's taking a bath in this poop-infested water. And my son, no lie, if I'm lying, I'm dying. He looks at my wife, and he says, it's just a little bit. 
It's just a little bit. Hey, you and I, this is what we do. We look at our life. Hey, God, I know I'm supposed to be here. I know I should be doing this. I know, but it's just a little bit. And we justify the sin in our life. Sin is when we rebel against God. We say, God, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go my way instead of your way. And we think, but I really, I'm dating this guy. And God, I know you say don't do these things, but I really love him. We're going to get married one day. God, I know you say to return the tithe, but I don't have it and I'm trying my best and I'm not going to trust you with my finances. And we justify it. God, I know you say uh, to, to, to set up boundaries and pursue purity. God, I know you say uh, to guard against every kinds of evil, and including my own pride and my own selfishness and my own arrogance. But, you know, I, and we justify it and it's just a little poop. So on top of throwing used tampons at God, here, look at my good actions. And swimming in dirty water. We're justifying this. But here's what I read this week where I said I got to share this. Because if I'm being open with you, when I look at my life, when I look at my shortcomings, when I look at my faults, flaws, and failures, I don't respond this way. And I want to. And I need to. Because God's grace is so great. God's forgiveness is so ready. God's kindness is so compassionate. Because of that, I think we can often just give ourselves grace and just move on. But I need to feel the weight of my sin, of my wrongdoing, so that I can say never again. And God, I need your power to help me overcome. And I saw that reaction in Ezra chapter 9. I'm, I want to give you a little bit of context. What, what happened is um, God set his people, the Israelites, free from Egyptian captivity, and he delivered them into this land that they inherited, that they went in and they, and they took over. And God said, hey, when you go into that land, there's going to be people there who worship all kinds of other gods, but Deuteronomy 7.3, don't intermarry with them. Don't give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they'll turn your children away from following me to serve other gods, and the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. So God says, you're going to go into this land, and these people are worshiping other gods, and this isn't a command against interracial marriage. You want to marry somebody of a different race? Go for it. Scriptures don't teach against that. This isn't a command against intercultural marriage. You want to marry somebody who comes from a different culture? Go for it. Scriptures don't teach about that. This is about interfaith marriage. You are a Christian and you want to marry somebody who's a Buddhist? Don't do that. You're a Christian you want to marry somebody who's a Muslim? Don't do that. You're a Christian you want to marry somebody who's not a Christian? Don't do that. You're not a Christian? Don't marry a Christian. They're going to wear you out inviting you to church all the time. You're going to be like, stop it. It's not going to be good for you. This is a command against interfaith marriage. See, these people are going into this land, and the people who lived there worshiped Baal and Asherah, and they would gather and have sex with temple prostitutes to worship their god and goddess. These people worshiped Molech, where they would sacrifice their children in the fire. God says, when you go into this land, don't intermarry with them, because here's what's going to happen. Their beliefs and their gods and their religion is going to creep into your life, and you're going to start doing that too. And that's what happened. And that's what happens in our life, too. I could line this stage with people who 
follow Jesus, and they married somebody who didn't follow Jesus. And the turmoil in their relationship is so great because one person is going where God is saying, the other person is going wherever they want. And they're ending up in two different directions. Don't do that. And I know he's cute. I know she got a good tender profile. But come on, come on. There's a reason God said this. It's for your benefit. And he tells the people of Israel, hey, don't intermarry when you go in there. But the people don't listen. They do it anyway. And there's all kinds of trouble that takes place. And then along comes Ezra, this prophet of God. And as Ezra comes in, this representative of God, he hears about what's happened. And I want you to see his response, how he reacts to these people who have said, we're not going to follow God. After these things have been done, the leaders came to me and said, the people of Israel, including the priests and Levites, the people who are supposed to be religious leaders, have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring peoples with their detestable practices like those of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Shebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. They've taken some of their daughters as wives and themsel for themselves and for their sons. They've mingled the holy race with the peoples around them and the leaders and officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. When I heard this, I tore my tunic and cloak. I pulled hair from my head and beard and sat down appalled. Then everyone who trembled at the words of God of Israel gathered around me because of this unfaithfulness of the exiles. And I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. I sat there all day. Then at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my self-abasement with my tunic and cloak torn, and I fell on my knees with my hands spread out to the Lord my God. And I prayed, I am too ashamed. I'm too disgraced, my God, to lift up my face to you because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt has reached to the heavens. From the days of our ancestors until now, our guilt has been great. Because of our sins, we and our kings and our priests have been subjected to the sword and captivity, to pillage and humiliation at the hand of foreign kings as it is today. What has happened to us is a result of our evil deeds and our great guilt, and yet our God, you have punished us less than our sins deserved, and you've given us a remnant like this. Shall we then break your commands again and intermarry with the peoples who commit such detestable practices? Would you not be angry enough with us to destroy us, leaving us no remnant or survivor? Lord, the God of Israel, you are righteous. We're left this day as a remnant. Here we are before you in our guilt, though because of it, not one of us can stand in your presence. These things, Ezra, we can't even stand in your presence because of our guilt and shame. While Ezra was praying and confessing, weeping and throwing himself down before the house of God, a large crowd of Israelites, men, women, and children gathered around him. They too wept bitterly. Then Shekinah, son of Jehiel, one of the descendants of Elam, said to Ezra, we've been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the peoples around us. But in spite of this, there is still hope for Israel. In spite of this, there is still hope. 
Now let us make a covenant before our God and send away all these women and their children in accordance with the counsel of my Lord and those who fear the commands of our God. Let it be done according to the law. Rise up, this matter is in your hands. We will support you, so take courage and do it. So Ezra rose up and he put the leading priests and Levites and all Israel under oath to do what had been suggested. And they took the oath. Then Ezra withdrew from before the house of God and went to the room of Johanan, son of Eliashib. And while he was there, he ate no food and drank no water because he continued to mourn over the unfaithfulness of the exiles. When Ezra hears about this unfaithfulness, do you see his response? He doesn't say, yeah, it's okay, but I like to go drink on Fridays. Who cares if I get drunk? He doesn't say, yeah, I know we're living together and we're not married and we're having sex with each other, but we love each other. He doesn't say, well, I just got a short fuse. My temper gets the best of me and they got on my nerves and they... What's he do? He tears his cloak. He tears his tunic. He rips out hair from his head, from his beard. He drops to his knees. He raises his hands. He puts his face down, and he prays, and he says, God, we, I, I'm not even worthy to be in your presence because of all of this. And he sat there till the evening sacrifice, weeping, crying, because the weight of the sin of Israel crushed him. And people joined him and they wept and they wanted to see a change because the weight of their sin crushed them. In order for us to see a revolution in our life, we gotta stop saying, well, it's just a little poop. I think we gotta respond like Ezra. I say no more. I'm not justifying this anymore. And when you do that, God, your word says this, and I'm going to align my life with it. When you do that, here's what you'll see that what my wife did for our four year old son, God will do with you. She walked in, she was disgusted, she was appalled. Here's the dingleberries floating. She said, this is not good. My son said, it's just a little bit of poop. She scooped him out of the dirty water. She, she drained the water. She scrubbed the tub, filled it with clean water and put him back in so he could be clean. In the same way, Listen, I've said you're imperfect, you don't get it right, I don't get it right, we're all on the same page there. In the same way though, the sin that should crush us, here's the amazing news, Jesus allowed it to crush him. Jesus took your sin and my sin, the thing that weighs us down, the things that makes us not measure up to God's goodness and greatness, he took that on himself on the cross so that when Jesus died, your sin died with him. 
So you don't have to live in that anymore. You don't have to pick that up anymore. You don't have to justify it any longer. You don't have to subject yourself to that anymore. You've been washed clean in Jesus if you believe that he died for you on the cross, that he rose again from the dead. You decide to follow him and you're baptized into him. There's hope. So you don't have to leave here hearing a message of, I'm no good. I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. No, you're clean in Jesus. Jesus. His grace covers you. And that's what grace is. Grace is getting the opposite of what we deserve. Grace is getting the opposite of what we deserve. What you deserve is to be destroyed. What I deserve is to be destroyed. But God looks at us and says, no, I'm going to give you life through my son Jesus. So I wonder if you've ever made the decision to say yes to Jesus and be baptized into him. I wonder if you've ever made that decision to go all in with him. And if not, today's the day. Because right now you're trusting in your righteous acts. God, check this one out. It's disgusting. But when you decide to follow Jesus, you're baptized into him. God's grace covers you. And now it's not your righteous acts that you're depending on, but Jesus' righteous acts that cover you. Today's the day to make that decision. If you've never made that decision, I want to invite you to do that today. You can do that by simply filling out the form that we have on our app. It's a connect form. There's a section there that says, I want to get baptized or I got questions about baptism. We're doing a baptism service on February 26th. Uh, it's going to be Sunday night. We've got a couple people already lined up to get baptized. Let's make it three. Let's make it five. Let's make it ten. If you need to make the decision today to say yes to Jesus, today is the day. Fill that form out. Let us know. We'd love to talk to you about it. If you don't fill that out, you can talk to somebody in a blue hoodie as you exit today and let them know. I got questions about this. You can ask me about it. So you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But God makes us perfect if we follow him. And that's why we celebrate communion. In a moment, we're gonna celebrate communion, but before we do that, I wanna give you a chance to follow through on what we talked about last week. Last week, I talked about the church in Ephesus and how these sorcerers came forward and they burned their scrolls because these were things that were standing in the way between them and God. They said, this is an obstacle between me and God. And I said, go ahead and bring whatever it is that's holding you back. Maybe it's some tarot cards, maybe it's an idol, maybe it's bottles of alcohol, maybe it's a carton of cigarettes, maybe it's your boyfriend or girlfriend's name written on a piece of paper, maybe it's some sin you keep going back to over and over again, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's your phone, whatever it is. So I invited you last week, go ahead and bring that thing, and we're going to take time to bring it up here. Some of you brought something, some of you didn't, because if we're being open, you justified it this week. But now I want to invite you not to justify it and to bring it. So if you didn't bring anything, we got sheets of paper on your chair with a pen. And you can write down the thing you need to give up to God, the thing that's holding you back, the thing that keeps getting in your way. Here's mine. You just write that down, whatever it is. And before we take communion, I want to invite you to bring whatever it is and lay it right here. This week, this week we're going to take all these things 
We're going to burn them. We're going to film it so we'll get to show you this thing forever gone from your life. And we do this because we're trusting in and relying on God's amazing grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Do you know that you're a wretch? Oh, but God saved you, and he calls you a saint now. I once was lost, but now I'm found. That's the good news. I was blind, but now I see not because of my righteous acts, not because I'm good enough, not because I did anything, but because of what God did in my life. Today's the day to bring it and to get rid of it. God, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and your love. You are so good. And as we sing about your goodness, your amazing grace, uh, we pray you meet us here as we take communion. In Jesus' name, amen. And as we sing, if you still need to bring something, you bring it, and then you take communion.